Hey all, and arigato for spending time with the 20th edition of Scoring at the Movies, the twice-a-month effort to look back at sports pictures. 20, not bad. 20, wow. We're almost able to drink in the States. <laughs> Just about. These efforts are always laced with lots of spoilers, so warning about that right now. I'm the gaijin who has a hole in his swing, Ryan Ellis, and here's the wise-ass who led his club in ninth-inning doubles in the month of August, Chris DiGregorio. Thanks, Ryan. Don't worry, if it's any consolation, I've got a lot more holes than just in my swing. I've seen you play ball. Yeah. I've seen you play, well, just ball, really, I guess, so. <laughs> uh, they never did fix that hole in the swing. He trained like a beast. They keep on talking about that hole in the swing. The grandfather knows there's a hole in the swing, and yet somehow he goes back to playing after not playing for a while when he's suspended, and he's able to hit home run after home run after home run, and we don't know how or why. Also, how do you get to be a big leaguer in the first place if you can't hit a breaking ball? What was that pitch? The shuto. I mentioned this two weeks ago. The shuto. Yeah, but what was it? Was it a slider? I looked online. It's spelled, by the way, S-H-U-U-T-O, a Japanese word. And I think it's supposed to be a screwball. Kind of like a reverse slider break. Fernando Valenzuela thing where it spins away from you. He wouldn't throw it to lefties when Valenzuela was playing. He threw it to righties more so. I guess lefties could hammer it, but the righties are the ones he would fool with it. A fork ball is a pitch you don't really ever see. That's in the nightmare sequence at the beginning. They say he's throwing fork balls. You throw fork balls up in the zone like that, even in a guy's nightmare sequence, they're not going to last very long. Yeah. But I guess that's the point. Strike four, strike five. He's in that much of a slump. He can't even hit a hammerable pitch. That was a fun little sequence, though. Strike three, and then he starts walking away from the plate, and mm-hmm. the announcer's saying, well, he's really in the hole now at three and three. Let's see how we can climb out of For there. a second, I thought, does this movie not know what the hell it's talking about with baseball? Because <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time, but then I got the joke pretty fast. Yeah, I was watching this with Allison. She doesn't watch sports. She's played softball. No. So she knows the baseline rules of baseball, and her question to me was, shouldn't he be out now? What's going on? <laughs> this movie's stupid. And then she went back to her laptop for a while. Okay, Mr. Baseball-san was released by Universal Pictures on October 2nd, 1992. The Wait, same day... What? Mr. Baseball-san? Mr. Baseball-san! Wasn't it Mr. Baseball-aru? That's also what it is, yeah, isn't it? I'm going to butcher any pronunciation I attempt of any Japanese yeah. thing, but when the translator's reading the newspaper, right. it says something like Mr. Baseball-aru. Yeah, something like B-E-S-E-B-O-R-U is how they spell something it. Something like that. Give yeah. or take, yeah. Anyway, this was out the same day Mighty Ducks was unleashed by Disney. The very same day. And we covered that. of the Titans. Yeah, that was our first ever movie we covered back in, was it last June? Movie number one and movie number 20, Mm -hmm. meeting head-to-head. We did not plan that, though. Oh, come on, Ryan. Give us a little credit here. I mean, come on. Oh, boy. It was not a hit. And I wonder if maybe because of baseball oversaturation. There have been a ton of baseball movies in that four or five year stretch there. Eight Men Out, Ceiling Home, obviously Field of Dreams, that same year League of Their Own. It was just before the 1994 strike. There was a real sense, as I recall, and I was a young guy in this era, like early 90s to mid 90s, but I recall kind of a fading of general interest in baseball. You got the revival in the late 90s when you started to get the home run mashers, right? Your Sammy Sosa's, Mark McGuire races, obviously Barry Bonds thereafter, and that kind of revived interest up until the steroid scandal knocked it down a little bit again. 
But I think you're right. There's a ton of baseball movies, so maybe oversaturation played a part. Maybe the fact that this isn't a great movie played a part. I think there's also a general malaise when it came to baseball around this time frame that just wasn't the sport of the moment. I think football had long since... And basketball because of Michael Jordan. Yes, absolutely. And Magic and Larry Bird still were in the league as well. Well, actually, Magic wasn't. He had just retired, but you had so many superstars in that sport. Kids were identifying with it so much. You had Michael Jordan playing basketball. You had Wayne Gretzky Still pretty dominant. And think about the Saturday morning cartoons. You had those guys with Bo Jackson or something who was probably better known in America at this stage for being a football player than he was a baseball player. And he had been injured by this point, but I get your point. But I mean the point being who was the face of the sport that was known not just to baseball fans, but in the zeitgeist and the way those guys were. I struggle to think Was it Canseco, I guess, maybe still? Maybe Canseco. I mean, I guess he appeared in The Simpsons around this time. Maybe like a Roger Clemens... It was waning a little bit. Waning a bit. Before, before the, magically and mysteriously His body got extra help. Yeah. Which I do not judge that strongly, but anyway. anyway, we know it did happen. We haven't talked yet about the beer. What are you drinking there to pair with Mr. Baseball? Mr. Baseball Rude, today we've got the go-ahead. Hibiscus Ghosts from Left Field Brewery. It seemed a little bit fitting. Let's just get the Foley work in there. Oh, shit. <laughs> you got beer on my mouse pad. Oh, no. It and cost me it. nothing. It cost Bev nothing. Cheers. Cheers. I have the typical rye and diet. Now, if I was really smart, Ryan, I would have brought both the stupid tie-in to the movie, the go-ahead run, and I would have brought a Sapporo with me or something like that, just for a two-for tie-in. Would make sense, yeah. But I'm not that smart. (laughs) Did you notice, we see a lot of beer drinking in this movie, in Japan, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't recall seeing a single Japanese beer. No Asahi, no Sapporo. All I remember seeing is Coors, who I assume... Well, that's the whole thing. He misses home so much, so she takes him to go get a drink. Maybe that's the idea. First, he has a steak. He doesn't want Japanese food. Maybe that's what's going on. She makes sure he has what he likes, which is Coors and American products. Maybe. You're right. The whole movie is a fish-out-of-water story. So He's just this side of racist through about half the movie, too. He might even be both sides of racist for a lot of this movie. But you're right. Maybe it's a homesick thing. He's only buying cores. But I would have thought that you would have seen some product placement for Japanese products in this movie. I'm pretty sure this was actually filmed in they Japan. They filmed most, not all of it, because they do have Yankee Stadium briefly. Well, I mean, I mean, and the, then the spring training stuff. Yeah, I know. But the actual Japan, Japan sequences, maybe some of the indoors were in Hollywood. It's very possible. But definitely the outdoor stuff was over there. That yeah. was a baseball stadium. The team he plays for is the Nagoya Chunichi Dragons, who are real. So I guess he shot in the Nagoya Stadium. I think the teams were all real at the time that it was filmed. I think the stadiums were all real Japanese baseball stadiums. I don't think they used necessarily the right stadium for the right team sometimes, but it seemed a little incongruous to me that you didn't see some more Japanese product placement scattered throughout. And not even like meaningfully, but if you're going to Japan to film a movie, I'm surprised the studio... It's already there for you. It's already there, and the studio doesn't go to Sapporo and say, hey, give us half a million dollars. Right. We'll have some of your beers alongside Coors. And not just that, the car that is driven by Yoki? Yokio? I am so bad Hiroko. at Hiroko. You mean Hiroko. his girlfriend? His girlfriend. Hiroko. Is a Volkswagen. Where are okay. the Japanese cars? There's no Japanese cars right, on yeah. display either. It's always the front shot of the VW logoing. I understand that companies pay for these rights, and more so now than I think in the 90s, but they did then too. But give me some Japanese products, man. And there are a lot of Japanese producers on this movie too. Fred Skepsi, the director, is also a producer, but when you look at the list of producers beyond him, a ton of names you don't know that are Japanese people. So you would think they have some influence in saying, let's do this, like you're saying, let's get Japanese products. Yeah. And when they're already over there. We haven't done the nutshell yet. 
Whiny American blatantly cheats to win big game against fierce rival. Blatantly cheats because I looked at it more than once. He bowls over that first baseman, goes out of the baseline to do it. He should be out game over. And also, as we just talked about before we sat down to record, why in the name of God is he bunting with two strikes and two out in the ninth inning? And he's not even a good yeah. bunter. It works, but what a stupid idea. It's I a think, good touch. It's a good surprise. Good twist ending. But that's bad baseball. I think we'll have to circle back to that a little bit because in order to really discuss that scene, there's previous scenes in the movie that you got to talk about. That, that is true. That plays off. A lot of, of setup and payoff There's in a this lot movie. of setup and payoff. I understand what they were trying to do, but you're right. It was done very badly. And it bears a lot of discussion. Do it with one out, as we just said a few minutes ago. Do it with one out, yeah. and then I'll buy it a little bit more. It's still maybe a bad baseball move. Yes, you're right. And that scene is some bad writer or lazy writing. This movie did do baseball pretty well. And we've talked about a couple of baseball movies. And this might be, I think, the best depiction of baseball on the field. Major League's pretty good, though. Major League's pretty good. Angels Nailfield was not good. Major no. League was pretty authentic. This is up there, no doubt about it. Roger Ebert's review talked about how much he liked that you felt like you were there. The crowd scenes felt very real. Major League's crowd scenes, well, so many of the crowd scenes early on, there's nobody there. That's part of the gag. Yeah. And in this, no, he feels like he's in Japan. Well, he is in Japan, but it feels like there's actually tens of thousands of people in the crowd. Yeah, and what I enjoyed about those baseball scenes is not just they were depicted pretty well, but that they were also commented on. Jack is as the out-of-water guy, like the fish out of water in yep. Japan. He's watching Japanese players play the game. And I don't know enough about Japanese baseball historically. This could have changed since then, don't forget, too. We're talking 27 years ago. I think now there's been enough cross-influence of Western baseball versus Japan and Korea that I think the style of play is becoming more similar. But in the 90s, maybe it was like this, that the cultural expectations of Japan influenced the style of play you hear Jack commenting on, that's a catchable ball. you got to charge that. Like, dive well, for the ball. Dive. No, we don't want to risk. Break up the double play. Yeah, you don't want to risk the ball skipping by you and losing face or something. It's dishonorable to try to spike a player and break up a double play. Mm-hmm. And now, interestingly enough, you can't do that in baseball in North America anymore, right? You have to slide out of the way of the player. Maybe Japanese baseball was a little bit ahead of its time, but the commenting on the game was also accurate. It made sense mm-hmm. when they talked to each other about what was happening on the field. There's a lot of baseball scenes in this movie, too. We've covered sports movies, Bab and I especially have Raging Bull and Rocky, that don't have that much of the sport in it. This does. It's not as much maybe as basketball was in Hoosiers, but there's a ton of baseball scenes. And they dump you right into it, too. Mm -hmm. The opening scene of the movie is him having a nightmare about striking out over and over and over. You wake up, you go to the diamond, and it's spring training, and you see a young Frank Thomas just Mm -hmm. mashing the ball, which I thought was also a great scene. After Frank Thomas hits three batting practice balls, like 500 feet to left field, Selleck comments, yeah, whatever. Anyone can pull the ball, and so he proceeds to hit it 500 feet the opposite way. Right. They drop you right into it, and they make you understand that this is the guy. Jack Elliott is baseball, and baseball is Jack Elliott. And that's repeated later in the movie, particularly between Selleck and his love interest. I'm a baseball player. I was a baseball player before I was a baseball player. Exactly, and it's part of the self-identity that he has to shed a little bit in order to actually grow up to be a, a except, human being. Except, Well, you know what? The critics didn't like this movie at all. 13% of them, in fact. That might be the lowest score we've ever seen. I'm surprised if it's that low. Don't like the movie, fine, but almost nobody was a fan. I think Ebert actually was. And 40% of audiences, which is not good either, but if the critics had been at 40, that would be reasonable enough. But man, the audiences liked it way more. I gotta say, I'm a little surprised by that. This is a comedy. I didn't laugh much a few times. I laughed 
when the Giants player literally body slams one of the Dragons Japanese players. And the Giants <laughs> player is one of the Americans. Yeah, yeah. This big brawny guy. But during the brawl, you see that in the wide shot. The guy just does a Hulk Hogan man, body slam on him. That yeah. was kind of funny. And there's a few other times. Jack's calisthenics, the hokey pokey kind of thing. More so the first time I laughed at that. I smiled this time. But other than that, I didn't really laugh too much. But then the spirit of this movie is better than some of the other non-comedies. Well, they're supposed to be comedies, but weren't that funny. We've covered. Partly because you've got Tom Selleck, one of the most charming, cool guys. Yeah. Who is about 46 when he shot this movie. And incidentally, one of the first things we see while well, he wakes up from the nightmare, he's with college co-eds. So truly and half like his age. Six of them, too. Not even half his age, actually, when he's 46. He's probably supposed to be late 30s, I guess, or maybe mid-30s at the absolute yeah. most as a player. So he's playing maybe 10 years younger than he really is. That's still too old for college co-eds. Yeah, I'd say so. And you're right. They don't ever like, specify his age, but you see him transition right from the end of the movie into being a coach. So I took it that he was originally going to be like 36, 37, because they talked about him being an MVP caliber player mm. a few years prior. Question, though. Yeah. That's a bit of a mislead at the end of the movie, that last scene. Why is a coach taking batting practice, even in spring training? I just assumed it was either a let me show you how it's done moment or a little bit of indulgence, right? You just I want think to it's take an a few cuts. It's an indulgence. And Tom Selleck, I think he was a part owner of the Detroit Tigers, right? Okay. At really? one point, a minority owner. And he's a huge Tigers fan. So I think that scene at the end, as much as anything, was just him putting on the Tigers cap that, of course, he wore as Magnum PI as right. well. Taking a few cuts, putting it on screen. He's playing the Tigers when he's a Yankee in the opening sequence, too. That's the yeah. pitcher that's striking him out over and over and over again. I was a little bit impressed that they got the licensing for some of these teams because they're not like small market clubs. You probably could get away with saying Yankees but not showing any of their paraphernalia. Yeah. But they do both. You get the nightmare in the co-eds. You get him popping over to spring training and getting shown up by the young superstar that's going to take over his position. He gets called into the coach's office really quickly, too, mm. after his agent tells him to go suck a lemon because he just signed the, the young guy as a new client. This could be many days in. It could be weeks into the spring training. No, it could be. But, I mean, as far as a movie-going experience, you're getting, like, bang, bang, bang. Well, true, yeah. Okay, he's a washed-up former superstar who's got a huge ego, and now he's in the coach's office. He finds out that they traded him. And the sequence where he is going, where am I going? And the coaches don't want to tell him. The first thing he says, I think, was not Canada... Not Canada. And as a Torontonian who has heard so often that baseball players, basketball players don't want to come to Toronto because it's north of the border. What's the taxes, I think, is more. Well, he said, I'm not paying those taxes. Mm -hmm. Damn it. That's a little too true to life. It cuts a little too deep. And the pain of the ass of crossing the border with passports and all that kind of thing, too. But it's really about the taxes. Always was. Yeah. The second place he doesn't want to go to is Cleveland. <laughs> Which I like. Not Cleveland. Major League. <laughs> the only thing worse than Toronto is Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me feel slightly better. They were terrible at that time. Maybe that's they one of the reasons why they got pissed on. That's why they were picked for Major League to be the terrible team. Around this time, actually, they were just starting to get a little better in 93, 94. 94, for sure, is when they really started putting it together with Bayerga, Alomar, Kenny Lofton. Yeah, and Albert Bell was short. Alomar meaning Sandy Alomar. Sandy, they didn't have what, a Roberto until years later. They hadn't yet moved into Jacob's Field, either. That would have been a few Around years Around this time, I think. I thought it was like 95, 96. I think it was by 94 they might have. Okay. Okay, but yeah, at this Give point, they would have been a terrible team in a terrible mm. park. And a terrible nothing. city. No one wants to live in Cleveland. We've been there. Bev and the I were Cleveland there. Cleveland rocks, Ryan. <laughs> Pittsburgh, on. we liked. Cleveland, we did not. Also, by the way, the movie was 63rd at the 1992 U.S. box office. Aladdin was number one. A League of Their Own, which Bev and I covered, when was that? Two years ago, I guess, was 10th. And White Man Can't Jump was 16th. Chris and I covered that last year. So we've covered quite a few sports movies from this year. I'm sure there's more we'll cover eventually. And the more we find out that came out in 91, 92, 93, the more I believe there might have been some sports movie fatigue as you get towards the end of this stretch. Not just baseball, but just sports movies generally. Mm. 
You talked about him being a fish out of water. He's also a prick who learns humility and teamwork. And then he has a stern father figure, Uchiyama. Uchiyama. Who has to lighten up and, let's kick ass! He's the guy who has talent, but that can't keep up with his big mouth. He's also a hot-footing bully. Selleck is charming. Selleck's cool, like Burt Reynolds in some of the movies he's been in. We talked about that in Longest Yard. But in some ways, I don't like this guy because he's not, then again, he's not mean-spirited about the hot foot thing. It is done in good fun. It's not about embarrassing him, humiliating him, throwing him out into the field with no clothes on. And hey, look at that guy. Initiation. Tom Selleck is unquestionably one of the most charming guys of this era. But I didn't like him in this movie. Like, I didn't like his character. I didn't really like him either, but I think he wins you over because he's Tom Selleck. He may be yeah. even more charming than Burt Reynolds was in anything he did, including The Longest Yard we talked about. He still looked great at this point, too, in his <laughs> mid-40s. Yeah, well, because half the movie, he's naked. I joked with you when we watched Semi-Pro, like, how often are we going to see Will Ferrell mm. naked, and you basically and Nothing don't. compared to Tom Selleck. Like, Tom Selleck is either shirtless or just wearing his boxer shorts through, like, 70% or of this movie. Or you see all the guys with their asses in the shower a couple of different times. There's That's no nudity true. in this movie, and I don't believe they swear, so I don't think it was R-rated, but they are naked in the shower. Well, they probably have yeah. the, what, that little dick cup thing that guys wear in movies. <laughs> He must have made a conscious choice or told the director, listen, I've been working out for this and I want to show off how good I look at 45. I mean, the guy looks good. He's a hairy beast of a man. He looks good. He's hairier than Burt Reynolds is. No question. You know, he's only made five movies since this. He could have been Indiana Jones, but because of Magnum, he had to go with the TV show instead. And then Harrison Ford got cast. And not being Indiana Jones wasn't the end of the world. He still did a great TV show. Three Men and a Baby was a huge hit. He was part of that yeah. with Gutenberg and who's the other one again? Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Another TV star. But only five movies since. I guess because he's done Blue Bloods and Jesse Stone, those two TV shows. Blue Bloods especially has been on for a long time Very now. long time. There's a characteristic to actors. You watch somebody on the screen. You watch a Brad Pitt, for instance. And even in a bad movie... They win you over? They win you over. There's a specific type of charisma to their performance. You say, okay, I can watch this guy for 90 minutes or two hours and enjoy myself even if the movie's not great. I don't get that same sense from Tom Selleck. Ted Danson actually falls in the same category. I loved him in Cheers. I love mm. him in The Good Place. Danson, oh, yeah, that is. definitely. In Magnum P.I., or I've never actually seen Blue Bloods, but in his appearances on television and Friends or what have you, Tom Selleck is a very charming guy, and I like him in those roles. But I feel like after 30 minutes, okay, I'm good. I'm full of I think considering stomach. he's written as a dick, that because he's such a charming, charismatic actor, it's the only reason I can even get through this movie. Although, I do love baseball movies. The worst one ever, whatever it is. Angels in the Outfield is certainly on that list. Yeah. I still basically enjoy it. And I think we both fall in that same category. And that's one of the reasons why I'm shocked by the numbers that you like. Maybe we're both a little bit predisposed to like this movie. He's not a funny guy, though. I think Selleck is one of those guys, much like Burt Reynolds, that struggles with comedy. If I think about him in Magnum P.I. or even in Three Men and a Baby, he's not a funny guy. He's charming and he'll throw out some pithy comments, maybe something a little sassy. He's the straight man. It's Gutenberg and Dancing who are the funnier ones. Right. It's true. And so when you're asking him to carry a movie, nobody else in this movie is very funny. His love interest isn't. There's a language barrier with most of the Japanese actors speaking English, so you're not going to get a lot of comedy out of them. That's not physical. So you're the only one that's really going to deliver the comedy. And he tries a few times, and there's a few things that do work. You said you didn't laugh very much. I didn't either. I did giggle when he was getting reamed out by the coach for not doing what the coach said. Mm. And then, what's next? You're going to tell me how to take a shit? Oh, right. Yeah. And he goes into the washroom, and of course, there's this shot of the trough in the mm. floor. And he's like, guys, yeah. show me how to take a shit. <laughs> Which I kind of like. You're not showing up the Japanese style of washrooms. You're not making fun of it. It's exploiting the fish out of the water thing, right? Although we should have seen a washroom by that point. 
a toilet by that point. Yeah, I took it. He'd been there for a couple of days, and apparently he's been backed up. Maybe his traveler's bum. Who knows? <laughs> he's got serious jet lag with his bum. <laughs> it's all coming to roost right now, and he can't figure it out. Well, one thing in this movie that's an absolute cliche has been done so many times in movies and TV shows, probably in the thousands by now. It's supposed to be funny, and it's just not. Is There's no way I'm going to. And then you cut to the thing he says he'll never do, which is, in this case, go to Japan. It's a little bit lazy, but it didn't offend me anyway. Well, what about his line? He says it a couple times. Baseball's a game, and games are supposed to be fun, which I think is a comment on the movie. Maybe the idea was, this movie's supposed to be fun. So you didn't think it was funny, but did you think it was fun? I did think it was fun, okay. yeah. Like you said, the spirit of the movie carried it through. Even if it's not ha-ha funny, there is a sense, even when he's being a bit of a dick, that this is meant to be a lighthearted movie. And you're right, he straight up says, this is a game, let's have fun, a couple of times. I don't know if that's a comment on the state of the game in the 90s by whoever wrote this thing, or whether it was just a tweak the nose, look, this is a fun movie, have fun with it for the audience. But there is an underlying sense of, let's enjoy the game, let's enjoy the movie, let's just have a little bit mm. of fun, even when it's a little bit dark anyway. The director, Fred Skepsi, also did Roxanne, which I haven't seen in a long time. Comedy, but I think also probably more of a dramedy to be honest with you. It's a play on Cyrano de Bergerac. One of the writers, at least, Gary Ross, wrote Big and Pleasantville and also directed Pleasantville, and he's done a bunch of other movies. He did Ocean's 8 just last year. He's done comedy. He's done them pretty effectively. I think Big and Pleasantville are very funny movies. I didn't have an issue with the writing, necessarily, for an early 90s script. Well, it's cliche right down the line, so I have a problem with that. Even though I've slagged on some of the movies we've watched recently for being lazy about this, my bar of expectation for sports movies, as we've watched more and more of them, has dropped little by little. And one of the things that impressed me about this movie, even though you're right, there's so many cliches in it, there are lazy things, but they do things in this movie that were either done very badly in other movies we've watched or that weren't even attempted. They gave some sense of character to Uchiyama. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like the they chief. Gave, yeah. They gave him depth. He's mm -hmm. not just a cranky asshole. I loved the initial introduction to the guy. You give all this backstory, how great a player he was. There's a reason why he does what he does. He's had success. He thinks he knows what it's all about. And even culturally, I thought it was really interesting when Selleck later confronts him, why won't you try it my way sometimes? And his response was, this is paraphrasing, this is not the exact line, but you're the player, I'm the coach. It's not my responsibility to bend to you. Which is very true. You're the player, he's the coach, you were meant to do what he tells you to do. Yeah. And Selleck, of course, is the cocky asshole who thinks he knows better, so he doesn't really buy into that. We know in pro sports, though, that a lot of the stars are really the coach of their team. If not the coach, then they have a lot more say than the 25th man of the roster would of course. by a mile, which is also human nature. It's human nature. And any kind of job, that can be the way it is. It's both a reflection of the time, because I think it was probably less pronounced a thing, in baseball anyway, in the 90s, in other sports maybe not. It was a comment on the characters, and it was a comment on the culture in which they found themselves. But later on, you find out more about Uchiyama, about his family circumstances, and he grows a little bit. The love interest, whose name I've yet again forgotten. Aya Takanashi plays Hiroko, her only movie. Really? Never acted before or since. And she's fine. I she's wouldn't say fine. she's a tremendous standout, but she's fine. But at least she has an arc. It, yeah, multiple fights with Selick, <laughs> right down to the very last shot. That's also something that's a little bit bullshit. She's so pissed at him more than once, especially when he wants to go home. And who can yeah. really blame him? He gets an opportunity to get a job. He'd make more money. He goes back where he wants to be in the first place. No matter how much he may finally be enjoying in Japan, he wants to be back home. And she doesn't like that, which I guess I can understand too. But then at the very end, she's married him. I didn't yeah. notice this. I looked on Wikipedia. I just wanted to see a few details I may have missed. And it says at the end of that, she's now married to him. And I thought, what are you talking about? So I queued up on YouTube the last sequence, and you can see a ring. It isn't blatantly ring. obvious, but she's got a wedding ring on her ring finger. So she married him, and she's followed him after all. 
she was originally pissed off because, okay, well, when are you going to go? Are you going to go next season? You know, we're going to have a few months in Japan to figure things out. And he's like, no, I'm going tomorrow. Which doesn't make sense because I think this is true now. And maybe it was true then. I think it was true then. The baseball season in Japan ends around the same time the Major League Baseball season ends. So what's he going to go do? He can't join a team in the playoffs. Yeah, this would have been after the point at which you could sign a free agent and have them eligible for the playoffs. Yeah, yeah it doesn't make a lot of the sense. The minor league season over here, well, in America, ends before, what, maybe it's the end of September? Yeah, because you get somewhere September, September columns, right. September columns. So it's the end of August, I guess, the minor league yeah. season ends. But Japan's not like that, so where's he going to go? How's he going to play for the Dodgers, supposedly? Yeah, the timing doesn't quite line up there. But we're not supposed to know that unless you're really a big no. baseball and you don't dwell on it too much. She basically shows up to fight with Selleck. It's never clear to me why she actually likes Selleck at all. She just kind of shows up at the park, picks him up. They're in a relationship thereafter. I think she's hot for him. Yeah, he's a sexy beast of a man. I think that's the only reason at first, at least. His first interaction with her is, I give free mustache rides or some yeah. nonsense. Like, that's what he says, like, yeah. And then subsequently apologizes. And she comments, and he says something and turns around, and then she gives him flack for it. But he's nothing but a dick to her, pretty much through the whole movie. And she's all accept, 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 love the circumstances you're in. He evolves with that accept thing. He's not a dick to her the whole movie, I wouldn't say. He's a dick to her for a long time. But at least she has her own motivations. She goes and picks him up initially, maybe because she's got a little bit of a thing for him, but also she just wants him in a commercial she's producing, mm -hmm. right? She's working hard to do her job. He's bad at that, too, because he's obviously done commercials in America, and probably plenty of them. He was a superstar for many years with the New York Yankees. And didn't he just lose an endorsement early in the yeah. movie, too? Like in the spring training his... situation, yeah. wasn't it? So he's clearly done, you're right, some spots before. And this whole, well, he's being a pissy little bitch is really what it comes down to, but he's acting like he's never done this before. Get it done and go home. And obviously he did eventually, because when you see his commercial, he's grinning ear to ear, and he obviously <laughs> hated doing it. It reminds me of the scenes in Lost in Translation with Bill Murray, also in Japan. But in that case, he just doesn't understand what the guy wants. The director's speaking Japanese. The translator tells him something. Well, the joke there is the guy speaks for what seems like 40 seconds, and the woman just says, talk faster, or be cooler, <laughs> whatever the line she has. But it's obviously not what the guy said. You see Tom Selleck actually recording the commercial, and he's just wearing a baseball mm -hmm. uniform. He's holding the energy drink or whatever, right? Big smile, big success, or something mm -hmm. like that. And then you actually see the commercial aired, and it's like a perfect... I don't even know if it's a parody or not. Or it's pretty it's, accurate from what I've seen. <laughs> morphing into the most ridiculous outfits mm -hmm. in the world and crazy graphics everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I guess we only saw the tip of the filming iceberg. It may also be a commercial. comment on the fact that people go to Japan, celebrities do, not just Japan, I guess, but they go overseas and make a ton of money hawking ads. One of the reasons why actors will take roles in movies and not get paid as much, they probably could afford it anyway, but it's also because their salaries are augmented by doing ads in Japan that pay them silly money and they don't have to do that much. That's what Bill Murray's doing in Lost in Translation. And there was a great little scene in Talladega Nights where they throw that out there too. You've got the Will Ferrell character who's pimping himself out to all the ads, including the Japanese fish candy or whatever the heck it no, was. Okay, yeah. There are some things in this movie that I found probably deliberately off, but one thing is you can't wear your shoes in the locker room. That's a Japanese thing, or inside in general. That's like more of a Buddhist thing, right? Or, or is it a culturally Japanese thing? I think it is Japanese. I guess so. Well, anyway, in this movie, they make it very clear over and over again. But you see a guy, I think it's maybe Mukai, smoking. So that's okay. Now, you could smoke indoors in 1991 when they shot the movie in 92 as well. But I don't get that. Why is it okay to smoke in Japan, but you can't wear your shoes? From my highly uninformed knowledge of why some religions or cultures want you to remove shoes, you and I, we take our shoes off when we come into the house, right? Because we don't want to tread crap in here. It's a show of respect because you're not treading in the filth from outside into somebody's home, or in this case, the locker room. So you can smoke inside because we both know that's 
filthy. It'll leave ash and a stink in the locker room, but you're not treading in dirt from the outside. So it's more of a respect thing as much as it is yeah. cleanliness thing. Well, also, I one of the think... things I learned when Iraq fell and Saddam was ousted, they pulled a statue down and the citizens were smacking it with their shoes. And I wonder what they're doing that for. Yeah. And I heard, just like when the guy threw the shoes at George Bush years later, the idea is that that's disrespectful. Yeah. To show you even, if somebody were to stick their foot in your face or just put their foot up at you, in that part of the world, that is like saying, here's two fingers plus one, fuck nuts. But smacking a statue with your shoe is worse than pissing on it, I guess, over there. Now, this is a bit of a Me Too success because Hiroko makes the move on Jack. He's not the one that makes the move on her. Yeah, she slides into the bathtub. He's not taking advantage of her. I watched movies, you have too, plenty of them. Some of the ones we've covered for this podcast where you look back and think, okay, that guy really did push things a little bit too far and that's not cool. But she's the one that makes a move on him because I think she just wants him. But then it's the next game he plays, well, in the timeline of the movie, maybe it's supposed to be a week later. That's where he blows a stack when they hit him with the pitch. He doesn't realize the guy didn't mean to. He's tipping his hat. doesn't matter. And he's suspended right after that. But she's been telling him to accept and he doesn't accept anything. Well, I suppose you play in the baseball field. You can freak out. Hey, I've been there. You know that. You've seen it. But even by less honorable Major League Baseball standards, he deserves the suspension he gets for what he does in that game. Yeah, you charge the man like that, you're going to get fined or suspended. And in Japan, he's lucky he wasn't fired from the team or cut yeah. or whatever they would do, because in Japan, that's a huge no-no. You're right. Hiroko does ultimately come on to him. I don't know if I would classify this as a Me Too success, though. Well, compared to some other movies we're watching, though. By I'm... comparisons, perhaps, to the things of this era. But let's not forget the mountain of co-eds he wakes up with at the beginning of the movie oh, i meant just her not and, the whole movie and the first scene with her they're out at a restaurant he finds out this is actually a dinner meant to talk business it's not because hey i want to pick you up and go home and bang you and he's all disappointed and she says what do you think this was he's like well you know in america a cute girl comes on to you with a baseball die made it means we're gonna go get it on it's a lot better than most of the well not most but a lot of the movies we've seen of this vintage but there's still some chauvinistic assholery on the part of Selig's character which is probably as much as anything meant to just show what a boorish childish little pig of a guy so he, he can is. evolve so he can evolve and change yeah which he does somewhat now what did you think about the hat tip thing right because this is the first instance of that he gets pegged the guy's tipping his hat it's clearly a mistake and his american teammate max max the, the hammer, hammer. What's the guy's, the actor's name? Dennis Haysbert, who played Serrano in Major League. That's right. And he'd later play the president in 24. Exactly. He's tipping his hat. He's tipping his hat. And then, of course, he charges the mound. Nobody else clears the benches. And then later on, though, in one of the climactic scenes... The last game. You see Tom Selleck is tipping his hat. Tip your hat! Tip your hat! And the guy mocks him. Yeah, and then everybody charges out of the benches, and it's played as if the audience is supposed to say... Yeah, they're brawling. They finally mm. understand the game. I'm but like, he's bringing them down to his level. He's bringing level. them down to the North mm. American level. The more civilized thing was to tip your hat, acknowledge I made a mistake, I didn't mean to do that, I'm sorry, take your base, let's play ball. And they're brawling in the middle of the field as if it's a virtue. I'm like, I didn't really understand the message behind that. But Which is like okay. Uchiyama, Uchiyama saying things like, let's kick ass, that's fine, I guess. But then bumping the umpire in an argument... He's lucky to get thrown in the game for that, because if you touch an umpire, in the major leagues at least, they're gone. If you touch an umpire, you're gone. It's immediate. I still thought that was actually kind of cute, though, when Uchiyama bumped the umpire. You see him walking away, and then turning yeah. back, and he's still... I got one more thing to say! <laughs> it was just cute, because Uchiyama's not a big guy. That is actually played up early in the movie, too, when Selleck first shows up. And I guess Selleck is a tall dude. Yes, like, and he towers over all these guys. Yeah, he walks out of the airplane, and he's just a foot and a half taller than everyone around mm. him. But Uchiyama charging back to the umpire to give him another piece of his mind when he's all like five foot two. It's kind of a cute thing. 
He made 172 movies, or maybe still making movies now. It was in Black Rain a couple of years before this. Michael Douglas, Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. But a lot of Japanese flicks. And we mentioned Dennis Haysbert plays Max the Hammer. His last name is Dubois. The French name, Dubois. Does he look like a Dubois? He doesn't. I assumed he was meant to be Louisianan. Creole descent, maybe? No accent, though. Not that no he has accent, accent no. He was actually more authentic, maybe, as Serrano. But I guess he's talented at baseball because he's played a baseball player three times. He played Serrano twice. And then yeah. this movie here. Hey, I buy it. One of the longer sequences in the movie is when Jack and Yuchiyama are bonding and working together, relearning baseball. <laughs> but no hole in the swing fixing is going on Well, because he's not ready to swing yet, Ryan. He's but, got to learn how to run up and, and we never stairs. see him take batting practice because now you're ready to hit. Next time we see him, he's playing ball. It's like Mickey training Rocky. You're going to be a greasy, fast Italian tank. <laughs> you don't actually see a lot of, other than him hitting sides of beef and maybe some speed bag work, not a lot of sparring and stuff going on in those sequences usually. Rocky, yeah, I guess it's that's true. It's just a lot of running and lifting of stuff, which is kind of what you see with Selleck. You see a lot of working out and running up and down stairs, and it's the bonding sequence. They bond over booze, too. Oh, yeah. You know what that bottle was? I found this interesting. Being a whiskey. You know about whiskey, yeah. Doofus and dork. And lightness. They never actually showed the label on the bottle. It seemed very purposely turned to the side, regardless of what angle you got of the two actors. But that was a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label, from the looks of it. Mm -hmm. And it came in the most elaborate and luxurious-looking wooden box that they opened up to pull it out. And, and I never buy Johnny Walker, but it's not expensive, is it? Johnny Walker Black is not, no. Okay. If it was Johnny Walker Blue Label, that can get pretty pricey, but it didn't look like a bottle of blue. That's usually a tinted colored bottle, I think, even in the 90s. Guys, come on, drink something a little bit more high-end. You're <laughs> professional baseball players, for God's sakes. He would have been paid well, too, Jack. Would have been probably Uchiyama was yeah. for being a former star in Japan. And ironically enough, at this point, anyway, whiskey was not a huge thing in Japan, and it is now oh, it is. massive okay. in Japan. Is but, sake whiskey or is sake something else? Sake is fortified rice wine. What's well, wine, effectively, okay. This is probably like an inaccurate comparison, but in the same way that port is made from grapes, right? And you take shitty wine and you fortify it and it just makes it a little sweeter, more palatable. It's the same thing with rice wine. You take rice wine and just fortify it down until it's stronger and sort of a rough equivalent, I guess. Now teach us about beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to our alcohol production cast. How do they make cigars? You, you see what you do, Ryan, is you get a bunch of Venezuelans. <laughs> you roll the cigar super tight. What about cocaine? How do they make it from the leaf? Anyway... So what let's you do, talk about is you grind the coca leaf down, right? Then you boil it. And... Okay, never mind. Let's move on. So let's talk about the last game because it's a big part of the movie. He's being intentionally walked. They're fined a lot of money. Was it thousands of dollars or yen if they throw him a single strike? He has the cocky move where he turns the bat upside down. But then later that same at bat when they're trying to walk him, he hammers a single. But oh no, it's not a single. He steps on the plate. That's what leads yeah. to the bumping with Uchiyama and the umpire. Which I found interesting. They never actually resolved that dispute, really. Like, well, he was out. It wasn't ever clear to me. They don't make a point of showing you his stepping on the plate or not. You know what it comes down to is you have to be in the batter's box. And I looked at this online because I wanted to see what is the ruling for when you do something like that. Because that should have been a single, at least. Maybe more, but at least a single. So is it considered a strikeout? Is it considered a lineout? Or what is it exactly? And I couldn't find any information about that. But it did talk about how if he was in the batter's box at all, then it wouldn't matter. Now, I'm not sure that's really true. Because if you literally stepped on the plate and the umpire saw it, I think you're supposed to be out. When we play softball, I played slow pitch where that's exactly the case. If you step on the big plate, then you're out. Even if your yeah. other foot's in the batter's box. So it's that's a little bit unclear, but it was an interesting touch because it looks like he's going to walk in every single at-bat. And instead, yeah. that scout goes over there to watch him play, and all he does is walk at least once, maybe more than once. We only see one intentional walk. 
whatever that ruling is, line out, strike out, whatever the stepping on the plate thing is, and then the bunt at the very end. Maybe that's why Max gets a job with the Dodgers and not Jack. Because Max has a big game. Max does have a big game. He had, what, two home runs that game? Or well, he had a, a, I guess you called a triple oh, in he the had, first he inning. he had the gapper the first go around. And then he has at least another single we see, and it looks like he plays well defensively. So Yeah. I can recall seeing, not often, especially not now, because they don't actually do the four-pitch intentional walk in baseball in North America anymore. Just signal that you want it. Which uh, I'm not a fan of, by the way, because... A, it's just part of the whole procedure. I'm a big fan of procedure. And B, we've seen it before. It doesn't happen often, but every once in a while... It gets away from you. The pitcher will throw the ball away, or he won't come to set position properly in a balk, and then runners can move along. Yeah. Or you can do what happens here. Batters have done it before. You I've throw the ball it. a little too close to the plate, and they don't step on the plate. They reach out, and they hit the ball somewhere, whether it be yeah. you know, a home run, because you have to reach so far. It'd be hard to hit a home run, but you're lining the ball into the outfield. I understand why they did it, as far as a baseball rule goes. You want to speed up the game a little bit. To want a pitcher to throw four more pitches for no reason than they have to, even if they're just half-hearted pitches. But you're right. I want to see you do what you're purporting to do and that you're pitching to a batter, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's an intentional walk. But this has happened in real life. It's not outlandish. And even the pitch before, when he flips the bat upside down, that's happened before too, apparently, mm-hmm. in Japan. That's like a real-life incident. Barry Bonds probably did at some point. He was intentionally walked more than anybody ever. At some oh point, he must God. have done something like that or just stood there like Casey at the bat. You see the Dragons in this game playing more like a North American baseball team, like you said. Guy dives for a ball, the pitcher doesn't yep. get pulled because he gives up a couple of runs. Which I thought was a cute touch. Let your pitchers pitch. That's one of the few bits of baseball wisdom that I actually agree with, and nothing pisses me off more as a baseball fan than at the slightest hint of trouble, a coach will start going to the bullpen. Your starters are supposed to be your best pitchers, too, your five best pitchers, and Maybe a couple of relievers are better than the fourth and fifth pitcher. Yeah. But your ace, at least, you should give him a lot more rope. Did when you, we were kids, yeah. they did get a lot more rope. You got a lot more rope. And think of the mental toll it can have on you. If you knew that if you had one, two, three batters that you struggled against, you gave up a few hits, maybe a few runs, you're out. Can you think of the added pressure that puts on you mm-hmm. as a pitcher instead of knowing that, okay, I can give up two or three runs, my team will still be in the game, and I'll still have a chance to pitch out of this because my coach believes in me. It's like Grant Fuhr always said in the 80s when he was winning Stanley Cups with the Oilers. He was never the best goaltender. You look at his stats and you think, how the hell was this guy any good? But what he always said was he trusted in his team. His coach trusted in him. They knew that he might give up four goals, but that was it. He wouldn't give up that fifth goal. He would keep them in the game. And the Oilers could score five or six goals very easily. He didn't have to go out there and, and have a shutout every night or fear getting pulled if he gave up three goals in the first two periods because the team had faith in him, the coach had faith in the team, and you just play, and you play with confidence. And I think that's what Selleck actually very rightly in this movie pointed out to Uchiyama is you're trying to be the perfect baseball strategist but it's to the detriment of the team. You got to be your players' backs. Yeah, one of the best things play. a manager can do in baseball is to have their backs because there's not that much you do in most baseball games. Some guys overdo strategy during baseball games, but in the end, you got to let a pitcher throw the ball and the batter has to hit the ball. That's the game. It'll always be the game with some little variations here and there. I don't know who the actor is that plays that pitcher for the Dragons. He's literally on his knees, hunched on the mound, and it's like says, "Chin up, buddy." You're, he's not coming to get you. He's not coming to get you. And he looks up. He looks around. He goes, "Oh." And if you oh, look okay. at the line score in the game, he kept him in it. He gave up a few more runs, maybe, but he kept him in the game, Definitely obviously, enough game. to win. So let's talk about the end. When Selleck bunts with two outs and two strikes, when they're down by a run, I said it's bad baseball. <laughs> okay, but we never talked about the precursor scene. We should at least mention that. Okay, right. One of the very first games, we've talked about Uchiyama as the hard ass. He tells his players what to do. They play safe baseball all the way. And that's not Selleck's style. Selleck's has always been the egotistic swing-away guy. 
I don't remember what the circumstance was in the game. I'm sure the team was down a run or something. But there's a runner on first. Selleck is at the plate. There's less than two outs, so the coach signals, get up there, bunt. Did I read that sign right? Yeah, so Selleck walks over to talk to the coach. Did I read that right? He says, yes, bunt. So Selleck actually tries to bunt once and fails, and then thereafter swings away and he's out. Coach is kicking the door, pissed off because Selleck didn't follow his instructions and it's one of many instances where they fight throughout the movie before they reconcile. Like you said, they have their big montage where they bond. And now in the final game, they're both learning a little bit from each other as far as how you manage and play the game. Did I read that sign right? Yes. yes. Swing, Swing away. away. Yeah. But you're right. The circumstances made no sense. The dragons are playing the giants. The dragons are the giant killer, both literally and figuratively in this movie, right? The giants have been the pennant winners of the division for I don't know how long, but they're played up to be the behemoth, like the Yankees. That's why they brought Selleck over, was to help them beat the Giants. So the bases are loaded. It's extra innings at this point, or the bottom, the bottom of the ninth? ninth? And they're down by a run. They're down by a run. There's two outs. Selleck comes up, and he's told to swing away. Might break your record. Yeah, Uchiyama's record of seven games in a row with a home run is on the line. This is game number eight, potentially, for Selleck. So it could be Selleck wins the game, the Dragons win, he sets a record, he gets the girl, he goes back home, everyone's happy. But no, Ryan. And this is not a cliche, so kudos for this. But also, bad baseball. Bad baseball and lazy writing combined. If you got two outs, you can bunt. There's nothing stopping you from doing it's it. It's always a legal play. It's just a dumb play. If you get to two strikes and you bunt foul, you're out and the game's mm-hmm. over. If you bunt and it's not perfect, somebody's just going to throw it to first. Or even home. Yeah, this is a force at, all, force at every, base. Every, base, every base. So you need to bunt it perfectly. And then he and knocks he... over the first baseman. He should be out for that reason. <laughs> Reminded me of A-Rod in the playoffs in 2004 when he knocked the ball out of, I think it was Bronson Arroyo's glove. That's right. And that was before replay. And I remember thinking, oh, God, here's where the wheels fall off with the Red Sox. But the umpires got together. They discussed it because that was around the time when umpires could talk about a call. Did you have a better view than me? And they realized he blatantly smacked the ball to the guy's glove. So he's out. Jack doesn't smack the ball, but he just bowls the guy over. And he is in the field of play. He's not in his baseline at the time. So he should be out. Yeah, he should have been out. He should have just been swinging. And go with almost the cliche. It's funny. The movie's so filled with cliches, but then it has a little bit of a creative ending. You said bad writing, but in that way, I think it's actually... A good idea. They just didn't it's execute good, as well as they could It's a good idea, but I think like you said off the top, you can make it happen with one out, yeah, and then a bunch is be. a valid play, even if there's a, still a force out everywhere. Or like, less than two strikes. Or less than two strikes. Or you have him go up there and say, did I get that sign right? And the coach says, yes, swing away. And Selleck goes up there and he shows bunt twice. The coach gives him a meaningful gesture of some kind to really swing. And then on the third pitch, Selleck doesn't even have to homer. Hit it to the fence, right, or something. They also stole Major League's ending. How's that? Jake bunts in the winning run. Oh, he does, and he collapses down the mm-hmm. baseline. Yeah, you got two broken down old men running to first right. base trying to beat out a bunt. Lucky they haven't got there in the first place. I think you're right. There's an element of attempted creativity here, but for a movie that apparently had all kinds of baseball consultants, including Bruce Bochy, by all accounts, okay, really? the Giants manager, how did this get through? Or maybe it was pointed out, and for reasons that you talked about, the director or the writer said, no, it's got to stand as is because it is the most cathartic or dramatic way to end this movie so even if it's a little bit questionable from a baseball strategy perspective we're still doing it it's so funny because not only is it for uchiyama who's i guess it wasn't uchiyama that called i was gonna say for uchiyama to call the bunt would have made no sense because he's a strategist but he didn't but the executives in the box are talking to each other the dragons executives who Mm -hmm. have uchiyama's job on the cutting block they want to replace him they want to replace him they're talking to each other with the bases loaded into it saying Oh, he better call a bunt here. What the hell are you talking about? Mm. That is the worst play you can call. Why are you so pissed off about this? 
A few things I want to talk about actually before we wrap here is about baseball in Japan. I looked up some of these things. The first Japanese Major League Baseball player ever was Masanori Murakami with San Francisco in 1964. The most famous Japanese player is obviously Ichiro Suzuki, who's going to be a Hall of Famer when he's eligible in five years from now, I guess it would be. Or maybe five years from last year. There have been a lot of great he's Japanese still, players. He's still playing, though. Is he officially playing? I thought he retired. No, he signed with Seattle. Okay. He wanted to play forever. He said he's still in great shape. There's an article about him last year yeah. on ESPN's website, even though he basically got cut by the Marlins. But Okay, oh. Hideo Nomo was three years away from winning Rookie of the Year with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So you got the Dragons, who are basically the Dodgers. They have the same kind of uniforms. Yeah. Another thing with reality is Randy Bass, Tuffy Rhodes, and then Cecil Fielder, who is relatively famous. They went to Japan had huge numbers and the only one who came back and did great here was Cecil Fielder he wasn't very good with the Blue Jays he went over to Japan for one year just like Jack came back in 1990 with the Tigers and had two monster years with them mm. and then some pretty good years after that with the Tigers and somewhat with the Yankees ironically Tigers and Yankees just like Jack wow how a comparison actually who knew there were players that went over there and they learned to hit better because they had to face things like the Shuto excuse me while I vamp for a second because I gotta look something up while you looked it up I also mentioned another actor Art LaFleur is his manager with the Yankees. He played the Babe in the Sandlot, Babe Ruth. And also we're going to see him next, or two weeks, when we do Field of Dreams, because he's Chick Gandal, the first baseman. Chick. That's a name we don't see enough anymore, is Chick. You bring up a good point. There's not a lot of players that go over and come back. We see imports coming in from Japan, or now Korea, quite often. And often major leaguers that get cut will go over to Japan to finish their careers or make some money. Just have a job. Very recently, Eric Thames, once a Blue Jays outfielder. That's right, yeah. I think it was Japan. It may have been Korea. One of the overseas An overseas baseball locations. league for a couple of years. Had huge numbers. And he was always an athletic guy. Never a big numbers guy. But he came back and has crushed it with Milwaukee. Well, the first half of last year was great. The second half, not so much. But he's an established major leaguer again now. Yeah, you're right. He's tailed off both years he's been back. But... Regardless, he came back a much better player than he left. Maybe it's getting regular playing time. Maybe it's getting a different perspective on the game. Who knows? And learning to hit things like the shooto. <laughs> I think at this point you just like saying shooto. Is I that... do like saying shooto. Shooto. Even when Jack seems to know it's coming, he can't hit the damn thing. Another thing about this movie that Roger Ebert talked about, liking the music score, which I thought was okay, but I can't get that out of my head at the end. I think it plays three different times in the end credits. It's that thing we've all heard a thousand times at the yeah. ballpark on an organ that he incorporates into his score. Jerry Goldsmith is a legend. Bev and I have covered him in Planet of the Apes, Patton, Chinatown, The Omen. Strange choice, though, because it doesn't seem like the kind of movie he'd be interested in, but he did a ton of movies, and not all of them were big famous movies like Chinatown and Planet of the Apes. You know, I didn't notice the music score in this at all. But it's something that Ebert wrote about, so I just thought I'd mention that because that music was in my head a couple days ago, and it still is now. All right, let's wrap here. So how was your beer? The beer went ahead, Ryan. It was solid. It was refreshing. It was light. It was a beautiful day-at-the-park kind of beer. Raspberry and hibiscus? Gosa. Gosa, okay. Nice light beer. I will venture to say you don't get a lot of Gosas in Japan these days, but who knows? Apparently, they only drink Coors over there. So <laughs> they have a ton of it. Maybe you get some craft German-style beer over there, too. A lot of imports. We didn't ask if you could score. I'd say yes. Tom Selleck is the hairiest-slash-hottest guy we've had since Burt Reynolds in the longest yard, or maybe in the entire podcast so far, 20 episodes. Now, how much time do you think on a given shoot day for this movie... Does he comb his chest hair? Does he comb, or does somebody have to groom? Like, otherwise, <laughs> trim, shape, because it is just perfectly sculpted. It's symmetrical. That's it's someone's job. One of the assistants. <laughs> I'm the chest hair guy. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, l- lurking in the background, a little pair of scissors. Just, there's a loose hair. 
like a ball boy in tennis, just running in, clipping the hair, yeah. running back out again. Got to pay the bill somehow. But I was pup tented the whole nine innings. Oh wow! No, wow. not really. But anyway, it's listen. Yeah, there's a sex appeal in this movie. You got the sexy bath scene with Hiroko. Mm-hmm. You've got the shower scene with a bunch of sweaty. We see them in the shower a couple times. Yeah, there was a great line in this early on when Jack's getting worked out just shortly after coming to Japan. He says, what the hell is this? We're not athletes. We're baseball players. Mm-hmm. And you really see that in the physique of some of those guys in the shower. They are not athletes, Ryan. That's they true. are definitely baseball players. Although one guy had some real pecs on him. That was more typical back then. Athletes in general didn't have the bodies they do now. Certainly actors didn't either. All right, so in two weeks, we're going to do another baseball movie because it is baseball month. That's Field of Dreams, one of my very favorite movies of all time. So the Hankies are right here. We'll need them for the podcast. We'll need them during the movie probably too. I haven't watched this movie in a few years, but it's one I've seen so many times. And it's also one when I get a little loaded and emotional late at night, might throw on the last few minutes. As if I need to see this burn into my brain. Wait, Dad, want to have a catch? Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion that is going to be a very emotional episode of Scoring at the This movies, might be man. the best movie we've covered yet, 21 episodes in. We've covered some good ones, like Hoosiers, that I think are just flat-out good movies, regardless of sports yeah. or anything else. But I think Field of Dreams is our best choice so far. We might need to retitle the podcast for one episode. Crying at the movies? Yeah, it might be Weeping at the Movies. <laughs> touching at... No, not touching. We'll think of something. But I think Scoring at the Movies might be a little bit creepy and disrespectful <laughs> for a movie of this type. We'll have our feels. A lot of great depth in that one, though, too. So I'm at MovieFiend51 on Twitter. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. And the website, of course, TopNighterProject.com, as always, although you're probably downloading through Apple Podcasts. Take it easy, dudes! I know that you will. Son. Son. (laughs)